I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with Dr. Michael Unger. He's a professor at Dalhousie University on the East Coast of Canada and has a lot to say. He's been writing books for years, and he's working on something called The Science of Resilience. His new book, Change Your World, not Change the World, but Change Your World, The Science of Resilience and the True Path to Success. Michael and I get into uh, mythic notions of resilience. What does that even mean? Uh, triggering our best selves, beating the odds, childcare and well-being, how the self-help industry just really isn't working. The billion-dollar self-help industry really isn't working. We, we talk about the boom-bust and uh, the boom bust world. We talk about um, why yoga mat sales are indicators of something very uh, particular. He's got 12 things he'd like for us to do. It's not an exhaustive list, but you're going to want to hear about that. Huh? We talk about creating a sense of community and how, how our best selves really are connected to others. We talk about how selfishness can backfire us on us and the seduction of hope. We talk about Cinderella, and you're, it's one of Michael's favorite stories to tell, and there's a whole lot of reasons around that. We get into things about how it's, um, you know, it's really not all up to me. We talk about food availability and systems and movements and context. We get into a whole lot of things, and, and really, it's another one of those interviews that just reminds us how everything is truly connected in a very uh, relational and intimate uh, way and how our steps into the future matter more than we actually know. Uh, don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my my writing and my speaking. You can order a copy of my book, Real Change is Incremental, there. I would love that. And uh, leave a review for that. And if you can't do that, maybe you could get behind uh, face-to-face and help us as we creep slowly towards 500 published interviews. It's kind of crazy talk, but we're getting there. You can support us financially through patreon.com. Even even $1 or $5 a month would, would be helpful. And if you can't do that, and I totally get that, maybe you could leave an interview, um, an interview. Maybe you could do an interview. Maybe you could leave a uh, 
a quick review for us or a thumbs up on iTunes, we'd certainly appreciate it. It all helps in this crazy digital universe. And don't forget to face-to-face-live.ca for more interviews there. If you'd like to advertise on our podcast, you can do that. Please reach out to me. You can do that through the email. And uh, share it with your family and, and your friends. We'd love to grow our database, sign up for our email newsletter. And don't forget rabble.ca as well, where I'm hosted, face-to-face is hosted with a whole host of other journalists and podcasters and bloggers and people writing about important, serious things. News for the rest of us, that's rabble.ca. Coming uh, right up, uh, Dr. Michael Unger, and uh, we're talking about resilience, the science of resilience in his new book, Change Your World. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest here with us today, author and professor Dr. Michael Unger here is to talk about his new book, Change Your World, The Science of Resilience and the True Path to Success. Uh, Dr. Unger, thanks for joining us today. Oh, a real pleasure, David. So just to set some uh, some context, you're the Canada Research Chair in Child, Family, and Community Resilience, and mm-hmm. you are in the Department of Social Work at Dalhousie University and a family therapist. I, 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 I don't really like to sleep that much. No, I'm just joking. I was just going to say, and hang on, hang on, <laughs> author of 14 books, 150 scientific papers. I mean, the list the list is quite quite long. When, when do you sleep? I joke that I have a twin brother that does all the work. No, that's not actually true either. But no, it's, it's you know, I, I'm actually, I sleep really well. And I think I just am sharp because of it during the day. You know, you just kind of develop your own patterns right. of, of coping really well. It's funny. It's hard not to, to, you know, to be in this business of resilience and not learn a few things as well, right? It's kind of, you've got to pick it up along the way. You've got to, well, so it sounds to me like you're sort of living it to some degree. I, li- I like to think that I sort yeah. of uh, learn a lot from the incredible people I get to meet all, all over the globe through through my work. And I mean, you get to hear these most amazing stories of people who are beating the odds of doing well uh, and finding the resources that they need to 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 make their lives better. Um, you, you really, I th- you know, whether it's uh, I, you know, I think we share some interest in different countries around the world. But the research center I lead, we have projects in everywhere from South Africa to, of course, here in Canada, United States. Uh, Places like Cambodia, Brazil, um, you go you go around the world and you keep hearing these amazing stories about um, uh, just the way people adapt to their particular environments, uh, whether they're refugees or, or you know they're displaced or otherwise. Um, and, and people seem to always say that there's that you know those those things that they need. They whether it's relationships or social justice or uh, environments that are rich in opportunities to develop a positive identity. Um, uh, you know, just you're getting your basic needs met. Uh, it's, it's really, for me, I, I really come to see resilience as not just something inside of us. That's a bit of that mythic notion of resilience. Mm-hmm. That, it's a really foolish idea is that, you know, rugged individualism of that. We, we tend to, you know, uh, you know, sort of like a neoliberal taint. And instead what you're really talking about is the science of resilience is very clearly it's about the world around us and how, it triggers our best selves. It's whether or not it facilitates, brings out, uh, allows us to navigate our way to the resources we need and negotiate to get what we need in ways that make sense to us because of our culture, our place. Uh, um, you know, it's these kinds of stories that I think really bring out the best in us. You know, I, I love that idea of triggering uh, our, our best selves. To me, it sounds cumulative. It sounds It sounds relational. It sounds very much rooted in community. Um, the idea that, you know, any, any, like these, these moments, these incremental moments all add up 
to, to, to something much more, you know, as you would say, I think, resourceful. Well, yes. And when, you know, it's, it is interesting. You find examples of this everywhere. I, one of our big research studies right now is in, is in a community in Western Canada called Drayton Valley, just outside of Edmonton, and in South Africa in a community called Secunda. Hmm. And both are oil and gas producing uh, places, right? And what's interesting, of course, those industries are in, in such turmoil. They go through boom, they go through bus cycles. And we've been trying to figure out what it is that makes, especially young people, youth, resilient through these cycles, these economic tumultuous times. And what I learned from the folks in Drayton Valley was it's, you know, yeah, you can try to encourage people to be strong and all that. But it's also about everything from how you design your housing, mm. uh, how you try and diversify your economy a bit. It's, uh, the, you know, the town council in Drayton Valley has in, in some instances been quite forward thinking in terms of trying to create recreational spaces. Like realizing that if you if you just let this boom bust world just kind of take you over, then you get a lot of very transient people through your community. They come for the work and then they leave and your town's no better for it. But if you begin to sort of think about, uh, you know, making sure that the housing stock is there or recreational opportunities, or you, you think about your town in ways that encourage people to bring their families. So you don't just have these kind of, you know, individual, mostly men, some women floating through the town. And with that, of course, comes, unfortunately, well, you know, sometimes some of the social problems that come with that mm. kind of loose life a little bit unattached life. And what I've learned from towns like that is that when you actually think about this in a more sustainable way, in other words, making the town more resilient, so you encourage people to have, you know, child, you encourage childcare spaces, you encourage services for families, you encourage good schools, uh, all these kinds of things. Um, you stabilize the family, the, the town, you stabilize the economy a little bit better. And if you make the town more resilient, you'll probably also make the individual in the town more resilient so less problems with substance abuse less problems with uh you know uh, marriage breakdowns uh, divorces uh domestic violence less problems that we tend to associate when people and families and individuals are under stress and this dynamic model is kind of what well frankly that's what i'm learning uh, is is actually making us resilient it's not just this individual will to have grit or put on a positive mindset by the way, congratulations on the book, and and it's now out. I lo love the book, um, and 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 I mean so much to talk about. And I often will say this, and a few of my listeners will be rolling their eyes, but we're not going to have enough time today. I know that, so so let's let's book a part two as soon as we can. Um, I lo I, lo I love the book. My daughter saw it on the, the the kitchen table. She is eleven, a little precocious, I think. Oh, yeah. um, you know, as any father or mother might say. Um, but she loved the fact that it was change your world and not change the world can you can you talk to us a little bit about that yeah i didn't i didn't really want to it was it's not meant to be another um i mean nothing against those books but nothing I, it wasn't it's not a book about you know make, making the environment cleaner and all that kind of stuff though i would say that if we did it would actually affect our well-being as individuals right. of course right. I mean, i'm not right no, it's not but the main message is um when i looked at the self-help literature it's actually kind of like we really love the self-help literature. It's everywhere. And yet, if you look at these stats on us as human beings, especially you know here in, well, I'm, I'm talking Canada or the United States or elsewhere, the stats are awful. People are getting mm. unhealthier, more heart disease, more time off work, more mental illness, more addictions problems. Like, what's going on? How could the, all the self-help, we're selling more yoga mats 
in North America than ever before. And yet somehow the, the trend is all in the wrong hmm. direction. And I think the, for me, as, a, as someone who studies resilience, what I began to realize through my research and my clinical work was that the missing part was that it was, you had to sort of also change the world around you and not just yourself. So you have to find around you, and I, I list in the book sort of, you know, I, I named 12 things that people should go look for. So it's less random. And, and some of them are obvious, like, you know, go find a good relationship, right? Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, good relationships. But even there, boy, we put too much emphasis on that one love. Right. And in fact, you know, the research, especially around the world, shows that, you know, you just want to find people you matter to. That's well, what's I, actually I love the line. You know, carry you through um, the best. Um, or, or things like, you know, find, find spaces that you have a really positive identity. Mm. Things like that. You, you, um, you, you, you know, those, maybe these things kind of speak to you and your listeners as well, but it's that, it's that sense of having a sense of control. So go find places. If you can find places that you have that. And, and I often say to people, you know, our, our work worlds can be very toxic. Our bosses can be very stressful, you know? Um, and I, you know, when I'm working in those kinds of spaces with people, I'm talking about, well, what I've learned is people then go, um, people kind of go and look for other uh, other opportunities to experience those things. So, Michael, I, I love the way that you say that, you know, resilience, and I think you alluded to it earlier in, in, in our conversation, that it's an a do-it-yourself endeavor, that, that this is about others, that, that we gain strength through others, that we, I guess we find ourselves in a sense through others, but we're supported by them. And, and, and this idea of, you know, stepping into the same coffee shop every day, it's, it's with intention, right? It's, we're, we're, we're not just going there for coffee. Right. And, I, often I, I find people who think about resilience, they design interventions or they think about solutions in extremely um, narrow ways. I see this all the time in my professional work. Uh, you know, I'm designing programs, big international programs, interventions to help parents or something like that. And people often say, you know, I'm just going to develop self-esteem or I'm just going to give you a relationship or, an, I, you know, a positive experience of yourself. Like, like, and the fact is actually not, the science says it, that's not good enough. You have to be mm -hmm. thinking in more, well, systemic ways. So, so the point of the coffee shop isn't just that you have that moment of connection with somebody who kind of says, oh, you matter because I recognize you. It's also the fact that that person then um, sort of triggers a structure to your day. You're missed if, you, if you're right, not there. Right. Um, th there's also the sense of continuity or uh, the, the coffee represents a piece of my, I know it's gonna sound a bit weird, but actually the coffee is a part of my culture. I mean. Canadian, I'm, a, I'm in Canada at the moment, and, and we have a, a chain of restaurants here called Tim Hortons, as you, as you well know, and not, not that I'm advertising for them, but what was interesting about that was even when our armed forces were as peacekeepers over in, or, you know, in other countries, we shipped them Tim Hortons coffee. Like, it is such a part of the Canadian uh, fabric of who we are, it's a bit of a running joke, but... That moment of connecting at that coffee shop with a particular chain, and it doesn't have to be that chain, of course. It could just be a local, your local Joe as well. But the point is that it situates you into a community. It mm -hmm. connects you to people. It gives you structure. It gives you a, a reminder of who you are and, and maybe even a purpose in life if you try to take it, you know, in next levels. Um, and when I begin to, you know, if I'm thinking about someone who's really feeling down or stressed or out of sorts, and you you want to in a sense help them to become more resilient well you can put them through a cognitive therapy and that helps to a certain extent but if you change the world or help them change their world 
so that they access new resources, maybe some new relationships, maybe some new opportunities. Um, th th this kind of stuff has a tremendous snowball effect mm. uh, in their lives. And that's why, um, you know, I, 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 I know that, uh, my gosh, I could, I could talk about pretty much any country on earth where I've been, but it's absolutely remarkable, this dynamic between who we are and the environments around us that bring out our best and and how changeable that is. So during a during a natural disaster, people often reevaluate what's what's right. necessary. So they step up, they change their value. Suddenly their cell phone and those endless text messages or selfies or something seem to be less important. And now it's about well, you know, building sandbags for your neighbors or uh, you know, cooking a meal for a neighbor down the street who's who's fallen and broken her hip or something like that. What I'm always amazed by is how we adapt to what our environment demands of us, and in the process, it's it's like we are given more powerful identities, uh, better sense of control, new relationships, and when all these magical things are happening in our lives, the next time we hit a crisis, you know, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen, but if we do we're better able to withstand those stressors. Is it possible, Michael, that, that folks, all of us, are, are, hmm, are situated sort of in environments and surrounded already to some degree by some of these resources and we just haven't recognized them yet? That, that, we, that we, we need another a pair of lens, we need another, a new set of lenses <laughs> to see the world through? Does that make sense? It, it really does. I, I have found, though, that sometimes people don't know where to look, which right. is, I mean, to be fair, the, the, the part of the reason for writing the book was I was doing a lot of work with people, again, and uh, they were basically telling me, you know, how can you sort of like, how do you reflect on this? How, can you give me a roadmap to what I should right. go looking for? So rather than just sitting around saying, okay, what should I look for? Should I look for like, uh, is there a, a big box store near me or something like that or whatever? But what you do need, there are, there is a, a code or a, um, uh, almost like a, a key uh, that you can you can use to un unlock these resources, and if you actually put yourself in connection with those, it's it's um, it's it's actually uh, remarkably sometimes uh, um, simple. Uh, 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 say, for instance, you're um, uh, a single mom, uh, single parent, mom or dad for that matter, but you want to go back. You know, you're, you're just a little bit fed up with your economic situation. You want to sort of move on or something like that. It could feel like, you know, okay, I've got to get an education, I've got to do this, but how am I going to, you know, the barriers just begin to quickly stack up. And yet, if you ask people in that situation, what, you know, like, like do you have any resources, Are, is, any extended family that might, is there any way of cushioning your rent for a little while to deep, you know, so that you have a few more resources to pay for schooling? Are there any government programs that you can take advantage of? What's available? What's accessible? Um, are, are there any other options that you maybe haven't explored? And it's actually quite remarkable that if you go through this checklist, people usually have a few more resources than they actually know they have. But they're often not, say, asking of their world. Um, and admittedly, this does take a bit of motivation and a bit of you know guts and bravery to go out and ask of your world to say, would you would you please help me? I mean, just like even asking a spouse at home. You know, could you really please empty the dishwasher before you go to work in the morning so I don't have to do it after work? Like it's a little bit of having that 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 spine to say to the world, I need I need you to change a little bit so that I can have a little less stress, a little more space in my life to accomplish what I need to accomplish or want to accomplish for that matter. You talk about you talk about having um, less emphasis on selfish goals. Is is this is this selfish goals? Do you mean in in relation, I guess, to 
ourselves so that in turn we can now give to others? Is this almost like an argument for capacity building, for community building, for getting, you know, getting involved with your local Rotary Club and so yeah. on? Is it is it that practical? Not too many people are getting involved with Rotary Clubs. Anymore, <laughs> unfortunately, it's unfortunate. It's really shifted, right? Yeah, but very, we very involved much. Involved so. in our online communities, and yes. we are raising money for breast cancer through charity runs, and we're sort of doing all kinds of other things. But you're right about that. Is that it, it, there has been some this notion of giving and taking? Mm. There seems to be some good wisdom in in um, being somewhere in the middle of that, not being so selfless that you're giving away all your time and all your energy and all your resources. But also, you know, making sure that you're helping others enough that you create a sense of community around you. Um, so a kind act will actually usually, be, you know, in a sense, uh, secure your place in a community. So, yeah, selfish goals. Uh, if you're too self-centered, if you're just focused on your own achievements at work, it might in the short term. And I think this is clearly what happens. Short term, you might win. Long term, you're going to probably be quite isolated and mm. alone. And I think people sometimes forget that. And that that has its own sort of negative consequences on our health. This, um, again, you know, thinking about people living alone, it's, a, it's like almost, more than a quarter of us uh, in Canada, the United States, live on our own, which that is just not necessarily um, a healthy situation. No, no. But, but again, people are beginning to think about alternatives to that. Can you bring in uh, – there's um, programs where elderly people bring in a young student, a university student who needs housing. Um, there are pro issues. In, in, I know several uh, uh, seniors who uh, who have been widowed, who are beginning to live together as a way of sharing expenses on a nicer home that they could probably afford individually. Um, you begin to sort of see these patterns where people are, in a sense, reaching out to resources that they might not have otherwise imagined that they had, and yet they're often there, waiting to waiting to be found at least in most right. many of the many of the spaces I'm not, I'm, I'm not unrealistic there's a lot of places in the world where people have no resources where we're you know where there's just no capacity of the systems around us to to keep us well um, but our contribution is, is so key it's it's a bit like the the vaccine issue mm. that's going on this whole anti-vaxxer kind of thing that's going on and I hope I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure always where people stand on this issue, but it's such a crazy issue. If you travel the world, it's such a no-brainer right. to vaccinate your children because the only way that your child – I mean the selfish thinking would say, well, you know, I'm just going to you know, feed my child organic mash and not vaccinate them for some reason. I'm not sure. There's absolutely no scientific reason not to vaccinate your child, but maybe you think there is. But the problem is your child is only going to be free of polio and measles and all the rest of those things if – Everybody else creates the herd right. immunity around you. Uh, this is an ultimate example of resilience where um, our selfishness actually eventually backfires. If mm. everyone else is selfish and we reach, you know, a herd immunity drops to 50%, your child is going to get measles and then they really are in danger, uh, as we saw happen in, um, uh, recently at one of the Disneylands in, uh, in California. Right, right. You, you talk a lot about well-being. Are, are you a fan of the notion of happiness? Do you make that distinction between well-being and happiness? Would you say, or, or would you use, would you use a word like contentment? Is that are you more are you more comfortable uh, with that? I I don't uh, I don't mind I don't mind the word happiness. I think happiness is is a is something that we can we can strive for uh, that we that we is an emotion that we can experience. But I mean, I think people sometimes confuse that with. Uh, well-being, 
Mm. You know, I, I, I'm happy after a great meal, but right. it doesn't endure. Uh, uh, I'm also happy in a sense, you know, um, you know, in a sort of a contented way of, uh, there's many sources of happiness, but, but you, 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 you do want to make sure you're actually ultimately basing your life on not, a, a, I guess the difference is, are you talking about happiness as something very transient that requires constant feeding to maintain the stat, the, the state, or are you talking about happiness as, as sort of an overall sense of contentment and sense of fulfillment, uh, with your life and it's, and where you're at in it. And obviously that's the other one that from a mental health point of view, I would much rather the second one that sort of is a little bit more sustainable um, versus well, this constant it, endorphin rush. It sounds, yeah, exactly. It sounds a little more foundational to me. This notion of well-being—it's got—it seems to have more substance, you know. But but uh, happiness tends to be in the moment and fleeting. But but uh, yeah, yeah. It's just... Well, if you think about, you know, certainly if you, I know, David, you tr you travel a fair bit as well, and uh, if you think about, you know, very happy. Societies are ones often not with exuberant, excessive uh, experiences where people are, you know, uh, you know, reaching some great pinnacle. What they often are is quite um, non-hierarchical mm -hmm. places where there's a lot of equality and day-to-day -day calm, um, where where people actually, you know, don't necessarily have, you know, the the biggest, most best thing that the neighbor doesn't have. Like, you know, that sort of that sense of competitive success. It's actually Often those societies that report the greatest happiness, the greatest contentment, are those that have the greatest equality, the 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 least, you know, the sort of the least exuberance in a way on a daily basis, but the overall standard of living, the 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 the, the ability to withstand stress when bad things happen. Um, you know, you, you go to a country like Norway, which is quite you know very very stable, quite wealthy, mind you, but you know there's 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 not a huge difference in the economic well-being of people across all, all the different classes. And one gets a sense of, you know, a, a, just sort of a general level of ease and contentment versus highly stratified countries mm. like the United States, unfortunately, somewhat in Canada. Certainly, you know, you get into um, countries with strong oligarchs and like Russia or whatever, and they're miserable. They become progressively more miserable places, even though a few people are having very exuberant lives. You, you talk, you know, it's interesting. You talk, I mean, and I think it's definitely connected to this notion of happiness because, and, and, and to lifestyle advertising and consumerism and, 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 and frankly, I suppose, the, the self-help movement, I suppose, or maybe the distorted self-help movement. But the seduction, you call it, I think, the seduction of hope hmm. in, in, in the book. Can, can you unpack that a little bit more? Is that, the, is that what's just out beyond my grasp? Or, or is it something more, you know, is it, is it motivating me? Is it pushing me forward? Or is it actually getting in the way of, of me, yeah. I guess, um, <laughs> tapping into that community, that resilience? It's a good, it's a good question. Uh, we do know that people who are more resilient, they are more able to withstand stress when they have a future orientation. So right. they, they have a sense of hope for the future. But... What's interesting about hope is it's not something that just starts inside of us. Hope is given to us. Um, the example I, I, I gave was I, I was I was doing some work with the World Bank's Human Development Branch a while back with helping educators develop programs to build resilience all over the world, including uh, working with some uh, university educators from Afghanistan. And they told me the most amazing story of helping young women to be inspired to go to university. 
But it wasn't just that the young women had this kind of hope for the future, that they wanted to go to university. Then the structural barriers had to be addressed. Mm. Fathers had to be, you know, it's quite patriarchal. So fathers had to be convinced that their daughters would go to university and then they'd have to figure out housing and everything else. But they told me that one of the biggest struggles that they had was even that when the young women had the hope and the inspiration to go to university, many were dropping out because, well, some of the universities didn't have toilets for the women. And the women were developing physical illnesses mm. because they could not use the bathroom during the day. And I know this sounds like very, you know, almost so, so silly and basic. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, I think you could find examples like this all over, but it was the university professors were advocating with the universities to build women's toilets on campus so that young women who were inspired to pursue their dreams could actually succeed at those dreams. And, and for me, when we think about, you know, inspiring hope, I hope that we also put in the resources so that young people have the means to achieve what they're trying to achieve. I, um, in, you know, uh, whether it's a, you know, a, you know, a young immigrant or refugee, you know, someone who's come in, do we have, you know, reasonable programs that allow them to attend and pursue higher education uh, in, in an affordable way? Right. Uh, those things, I, I just, I just sometimes think we, 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 um, you know, the motivational speakers that will stand up and inspire a group of people and say, you know, you can do it, you can do it. And just once I'd really like them to stop and say, and by the way, um, just make sure that when you get to the university that you really want to go to, that there's a toilet for you. <laughs> or, or maybe, or just, you know, make sure that there's an immunization program right. so that you're not going to pick up measles. Make sure your parents immunize. Like, like doing these really unsexy social policy things. Um, I often say with my audiences, you know, I love... I love meat inspectors. Don't you just love a meat inspector? You got to love a meat inspector. It's such a mundane job if you think about it and so critical to all of our mm -hmm. health and well-being. We are happier. I am happier because there's a meat inspector. Even if I'm a vegetarian, I'm probably happier that there's a meat inspector out there making sure that everyone else around me isn't getting ill, right? Right, right. sure, sure. Um, but there's a sense of, you know, a food inspector, a, a small social policy, government programs. I mean, I, you know, I, it's it's yeah, it's kind of talking not so much. You don't have to be socialist or, you know, I, I'm not getting into politics here. I'm just talking about a basic social safety net that allows us to realize and, and in a sense be hopeful about the future. So we need we need vaccinations. We need access. <laughs> we need access to washrooms. But we also I think early on in the book, we need a fairy godmother. Yeah, don't, I, I, I love telling the story of Cinderella because we so focus on her capacity to overcome a bad situation, right? We love the Disney tale of that, right? And I've been long arguing that, that Cinderella, the whole story is completely misnamed. It really should be called Fairy Godmother's Rock. Because <laughs> if you remove the story of the fairy, if you remove the fairy godmother from Cinderella, what you have is a kid growing up as a working, exploited child in a household with an abusive parent, abusive step-siblings, in a very awful kingdom that spends all its money on gala balls and gilded, you know, all this kind of stuff, but it does nothing. There's not one social worker is ever mentioned in Cinderella. Not one. Right. No one checks in on her. Sounds like the makings of a great children's story. I, can't you just see reading that to your child? Well, and then I, you know, of course, there's a bit of a darker side because a kid like Cinderella, I, I do a lot of work with kids in jails and street-involved street youth and stuff like that. That's really a lot of my career. A kid like that wouldn't stay in a household like that. She'd run away by mm. 15. She'd run to the streets. She'd be swapping. And, I, and I, in all seriousness, she'd be swapping sex for a place to sleep at night. 
and she would be at high risk for being trafficked or falling into a drug and alcohol addiction. I mean, she's not a princess. She's not going to become a princess because there's no fairy godmother in the story. So the real, the real essence of resilience is whether or not we find fairy godmothers in our lives or fairy godfathers or you know, approximations of that. And the more we, we, we sort of debunk the myth of Cinderella, the more we'll be able to truly uh, help communities, whether that's, you know, New Orleans after disaster or Fort McMurray after a wildfire. They, they also need fairy godmothers in a, in a more global social policy sense. So should the student be looking for the teacher or should the teacher be looking for the student? Well, I, I have colleagues who study this, and actually what they say is both. Hmm. That actually what you want is an interaction because the teacher teaches better when they find students who they can inspire. Right. And the student teaches is, is more likely to learn when they have a teacher who sees in them their potential. Again, that notion of, you know, if you, you, know, you have a student who's underperforming or disengaged from school and you bring them into a little session and say, okay, we're going to bolster your self-esteem or we're going to convince you to think more positively about your future and your education, um, that actually doesn't work very well. It's non-sustainable. The child stops the program, stops seeing that particular counselor, and nine times out of ten, it ends there. In fact, all that's what the science says. But if the world around the ch is changed for that child and the teacher sees in that child potential and keeps reinforcing that through very small things, like when that child enters the school grounds, does anybody come up to that child and say, oh, hi, Johnny, hi, hi, Jillian, welcome to the school today. Glad to see you're here. Or, hmm, you don't look like you have your lunch. Or, you know, it's amazing that this interaction in which we might want something but is the world going to reward it uh, as well? And I, I must say, I saw this in one of the most violent places on earth. I was doing some work in um, Medellin, Colombia, a former home of Pablo Escobar, and I, I do talk about this a little bit in the in, in the book as well. But basically, what I saw there was I met an amazing principal, whose students ran the gauntlet of gunfire in the streets to get to school, which really impressed me because I don't think that's my kids would do that, by the way. <laughs> but. You know, it was such an outrageous story. And then I finally got to go to the community where she worked, and I went to her school, and I saw this 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 principal basically greet every student by name and give them a little kiss on the kiss on the cheek and a little you know a little hug. Hmm. This was this was a school principal doing this to hundreds of children right. in her care. Right. And and I I came back to Canada where where I live right now, and I was thinking to myself. We don't do that. No wonder kids don't come to school. Nobody kisses them, you know. So, <laughs> like, so, so you, know, I, you know, it's interesting that you bring this up, and it's a lovely story because, I mean, it sounds to me like what you're talking about is a, a an environment of inclusion, something that says to each and every student there, you're included, you're loved, you're, you're welcome better. here, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're bright, you're 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 going to thrive. That that's what we. I mean, is that the impact of the work that you're doing on our school system, say here in Canada? Absolutely, and, mm. and indeed in the United States and Europe as well. The what what we're very clearly seeing is that schools now want to become resilience-promoting environments, mm. not just with mental health programs, um, but it's the same at universities, colleges as well. They they want to see themselves as not just you know a, creating a, a knowledge group, a knowledge economy. They also want to see them creating you know good citizens, people who are going to engage, who are going to show kindness. And a lot of that isn't just learned in the classroom. It's part of the soft skills that actually make people very employable, but it also makes our society, I think, a, a much more kinder, gentler, 
more loving place, if you will. I, I know that's taken a bit of a battering <laughs> sometimes in, in the way politics is shaping up these days, but I, I'm still at least an optimist that I think fundamentally people want to live in calm communities where people are looked after. Um, we sometimes disagree how to do that, but oh, I don't sure. think that the fundamental sentiment, whether I'm in an oil and gas town called Drayton Valley or I'm in Secunda in South Africa, which is the partner community, and, and seeing how you know young people there or you know that even you know even oil companies you know which are sometimes painted as awful have corporate social responsibility efforts you know and, you know th th these it's an interesting dynamic of watching people at least in some respects try and make the world a little bit better i mean we can all disagree and you know i'm i'm not saying i'm, I'm not you know it's a debate about whether or not it's working and all this kind of stuff absolutely but but fundamentally i th i do think people are they they're looking for those opportunities to give back so, so sadly, we're going to have to wrap it up. And as suspected, we're, bar we're barely scratching no. the surface here, which is why everyone has to buy your book. Uh, and, and there'll be a link to it on my site, but you can get it elsewhere, I'm sure. Change your world, Michael Unger. Um, how, how do you balance the optimism? You sound very optimistic to me. You, don't, you sound very hopeful. You sound very resilient. You don't sound cynical at all. And yet, you know, you even have a chapter titled, entitled Beyond the Self-Help Movement. So how do you, how do you balance that and I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw another question in there as well um, um, change your world is kind of a corrective would you say to the self-help movement yeah I, I think I honestly began to worry because I've had people come up I, I literally so this the book actually started with I was doing a talk on resilience and trying to encourage people to think a little bit beyond themselves and everything else and I had this this woman come up to me afterwards I think she was a nurse and she kind of come up and says, she kind of swore and cussed a little and said, well, thank God, finally, someone telling me I don't have to go and meditate <laughs> to get my life better. And, and I said, like, there's nothing wrong with meditation, right? It's a good right, practice right. to have in your life. Sure. She says, no, they always tell me I just got to go meditate and suddenly my life is going to get better and it never works. And finally you said, no, I've got to also, you know, the world around me has to, I've got to go find some new places for me to be and people to like me and people to be with me and, and things to do and places to use my talent. I mean, she went through the kind of a short list of it all. And I think, and she goes, wow, is that what people mostly think the self-help movement is about? That if they just kind of do this little bit of flipping the switch in their brain, that everything is going to magically get better? And it's not. Mm. It doesn't work. I'm, actually, we, we, I'm a scientist, so I actually looked at the science. We did all these meta-analysis of this. It actually doesn't work quite like that. It actually, it's the environment has to trigger a positive response. And it's a dynamic back and forth. And I mean, we don't think very well. We're not very good at thinking in terms of processes. And we're much better at thinking about individual qualities or traits or personalities. But in fact, what we really have to start thinking about is more, well, systems and movements and me and interaction with an environment. Um, and on all levels, I, and the book obviously goes through this, like, you know, everything from patients who use less pain medication when they're looking at a tree outside their hospital window to the way we set up our buildings, our office spaces, our communities, to in fact, even the smallest things like you mentioned, teachers responding to kids or changing. I have a colleague that painted, he once, he went into a school and painted hopscotches on the floor of a ch child's elementary school and the children moved more, something that every parent wants their kid to do. And all they did was rather than trying to tell children to move more, they just adapted the environment ever so slightly, painted hopscotches, and the child began to bounce around mm. in their day. And that, for me, is just the metaphor for, I think, what we adults need as well. If we can find ways to change our world in small ways, we will actually 
experience the, the, the health and well-being that, that we're trying to look for. And frankly, to be honest, and I say this in the book, it's so much easier to change your world than it is to change yourself. Oh my gosh, it's hard to change myself. It's endless work. Change the world once around me and suddenly the world does all the work for me. It keeps reinforcing the changes. It's, it's, it's almost, I mean, it's an argument to me for, 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 giving, for giving back. I mean, it's yeah. an argument for for stepping in and and for rolling up your sleeves. Oh, let's we can come up with lots of other metaphors, but it's for being engaged. It's going to come back. Almost, I, I, I hear you. I think I hear you saying it's going to come back in kind, and then and 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 maybe even tenfold. This feedback loop. So that's There's, the basic right, principle. Right. You know, whether we're talking about a resilient forest or a resilient human system, um, you know, we have feedback loops. We have. Uh, there's a sort of information flows through it. There's connectivities mm. where we want to engage, and we and 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 by introducing a bit more complexity into these ideas, we and that's where the book actually goes through things like you know at a biological level, at a social level, at a political level. I mean, you know, I go right through psychology, biology, psych, you know, it's trying to really show people that that each part of us is affected by the world around us. And if we change that world, um, what we eat triggers a change in our microbiome. What's in our gut seems to be affecting our mood and our mood disorders. Um, so food availability, which is a social policy issue, changes what kind of food we get, putting what kind of food we get into our kitchens and our food, et cetera, et cetera, changes us at a biological level. And that biological level changes us at a psychological level, which then kind of creates a, a, a change in our environment, a, a, how we interact with our environment. It's, That's not just, you know, it's, it's, it's like it's a all connected. connected thing. And it doesn't matter where you start. That's the wonderful thing. You make, I often say to people, if you want more steps in your life, one way is to put a thing on, you know, a monitor on your wrist, or the other way is to change your parking spot at work so you're further right. more. Right. It's nice. Change your parking yeah, spot once, and that that's all you have to do, good. and you'll start walking more. It's good. And very, very, <laughs> very important question. How many yoga mats do you own? I, I used to own one. You yeah, used to own one. I think it's gathering dust. <laughs> No offense um, to yoga mats. Exactly. I just, I, yeah. I just found that actually, I liked other things. I, yeah. No, for sure. I I, I do uh, I do restorative yoga. I do restorative yoga, and and honestly, it I, I mean to say it saved my life would be a bit of an extreme, but it's 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 been a huge, uh, um, yeah, injection of life, and 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 maybe maybe it's the community. You know, maybe maybe that's really uh, what what this is about. Hey, can I just read a quote here from 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 a, a chapter uh, called sure. "Our Endless Potential"? And and uh, quote: "Tolerance is a prerequisite for our collective capacity to thrive. Our world is becoming a more globalized, integrated whole, and there is no stopping these trends. The future depends on our capacity to be good to ourselves and others. And I have witnessed enough resilience in individuals and communities to be confident in our capacity to meet that challenge." Close quote. I mean, what a beautiful way to end. I mean, it isn't the last sentence in the book, and you've got some appendices and some exercises and things for people to to think about and, and to work through. Um, but but it, it it really does sound kind of like this is this is you know I don't want to oversimplify but this is about um, giving back and, and 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 not about the seduction of hope but 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 proper hope proper hope sustained by creating the opportunities to experience it um, you know I I always say that you know um, people I, I can either try and change your orientation towards the future and make you hopeful that's a lot of work. Or you know what I could do is I could just give you an opportunity to retrain mm -hmm. or achieve your goals or, you know, uh, give you a little more safety, security, and, and anticipate the future. And you know what? You're going to become more hopeful. Yeah. So it's an interesting one of where the locus of control rests. And um, 
you know, it's interesting when I engage with audiences and people talking about this, you know, there's always a few people say, no, no, it's all up to me. Right. And, 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 and to some extent, and you kind of, and then you start talking to them and say, well, you know, so who gave you, when you went to college, uh, who paid for it? Oh, mom and dad said save money. You know, mom and dad had saved money. Oh, and, and dad had a, mom had a job. Dad had, a, somebody had a job. Oh yeah. And there was some, the college had some sort of program to get you. I mean, you know, like you go through the list and suddenly it's like, yeah, I guess it was all up to you. Right. You know, I don't think it was, but maybe, you know, if you want to believe that, then well, and, read and the it, book. <laughs> read, the, read the book. That's right. Yeah. Or, or, or listen to face to face, you know, that's, you an, that's another way to do it. Uh, we've, been, way we've been talking to Michael Unger today uh, about uh, Dr. Michael Unger, about his, his new book, change your world, not change the world, change your world, the science of resilience and the true path to success. Michael, thanks so much for your time today. What a pleasure and, and, and what a brilliant read. And, and I hope, I hope it's on everyone's shelf and, and I hope it's got a cracked binding. All the best to you, too. Sounds like it's uh, just very inspiring to chat. All the best. Thanks. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.